I'm Dave Cauley, investigative journalist and host of the podcast, Cold. Don't miss Cold's new Season 3, where I look into the unsolved disappearance of Cherie Warren, a woman last seen leaving her job at a Salt Lake City office in 1985. Police cast suspicion on Cherie's estranged husband and boyfriend, but never made any arrests or recovered Cherie's remains. Find Cold Season 3, The Search for Cherie, anywhere you get your podcasts. Inside Sources. Inside Sources with Boyd Matheson. Welcome back. Final segment of Inside Sources today. Great to be with you. I am Boyd Matheson. And if you missed the last segment with James Walner, you need to go check that out in the podcast when that goes up a little later this afternoon. Go to kslpodcast.com, click on Inside Sources. And uh, James really broke it down in terms of what we're going to see as it relates to any kind of gun legislation at the federal level. Uh, that again, it's this uh, group behind closed doors, and if they don't come to a consensus, they're going to come out and point fingers at each other or talk about the filibuster. Uh, and that's not the problem. The problem is you got to get it on the floor of the Senate so you can actually have a debate, and then you can have an amendment. But too often we we saw this over and over and over. 2013, 2015. Uh, that we have these behind closed doors gangs, groups of senators, even if they're bipartisan, they come out, they're at an impasse, uh, everyone goes back to their corner, and nothing changes. And the reason nothing changes is because it doesn't give the American people a chance to actually see what's going on. And that's why it's supposed to be the great deliberative body. And sadly, the United States Senate has been anything but that in recent years. And far too many senators have been willing to just acquiesce to the leaders, to Senator Schumer and to Senator McConnell. Uh, and they flip-flopped who's the majority leader and who's the minority leader. It uh, doesn't seem to matter. Old boss, same as the new boss. And so nothing changes. Nothing happens. Any one senator can bring it to the floor and keep calling for it. Not behind closed doors, not in some vibrato on a late-night cable news network in front of the American people and then let the American people weigh in with their senators and then let's get that debate going and then let's have an amendment process so we can say, okay, there's there's the baseline. How do we make it better? How do we tweak it? How do we do it different? Uh, so we're going to continue to follow that, but you should definitely go back and listen. It's a great primer in terms of what could happen if the senators were willing to do their job and take some risk to actually do their job. Uh, in a way that they could actually be held accountable for. Some really interesting stuff from James Walner. Check out that podcast. Uh, I want to close out today with a, with a couple thoughts in terms of where we really are in in all of this and the, the chilling impact of, of social media. Ryan Streeter uh, wrote a great piece in Law and Liberty, and he said that social media has magnified and weaponized the frivolous, wrecking trust in institutions along the way. Uh, that really helps us understand, you know, social media is designed to amplify passion, ideological extremes, and outrage so that things can go viral. That's the way it's, that's the way it's set up. And so part of the reason passionate tribalism and all of this ideological hyperbole drive this fragmentation of society is because the, we're missing some of the core components that actually bind us together as human beings. Uh, they're often referred, referred to as moral sentiments, the, the affection, the inclination that prompt us to do good, that 
causes us to keep our passions from overwhelming our minds and, and from misleading us. And yet social media is just the flip of that. It creates interpersonal engagement with little or no room for any kind of moral sentiment or relationship to grow. So we can't really be human. That's the problem with social media. You may think you are having a an interchange with someone. You are engaging with someone in social media, but you are not having a relationship. That's, that's the problem uh, because it's in that relationship space that everything changes. So when you look at how we try to offset that and how do we get beyond just the passion, this distorted reality that so many live in because of their social media bubble uh, and all of the digital tools, they just amplify the worst, all the worst inclinations. It makes us much more surface, much more transactional, less thoughtful. It allows us to just post memes with pictures and charts uh, rather than really engaging in the art of persuasion. Now, you might be able to make your friends envious of your, you know, foodie expertise or, you know, the way you did your hair or the way your house is clean or whatever amazing trip you're on uh, or those charts and graphs, you know, that will actually prove definitively that you're right and everyone else is wrong on whatever the issue is. And so you have to remember these platforms are designed for performance. It's a performative function. So you can get immediate feedback, likes, retweets, comments, shares. But there's no room for that moral sentiment, that that connective tissue that we have to get to. Uh, Many of you have heard me reference uh, an interview I did with uh, the late uh, Chief Rabbi of Great Britain, uh, Rabbi Lord Jonathan Sachs. Uh, and he talked about kind of this commanding heights of this uh, different look at where we are. And we actually had this conversation. Uh, it was during a period where there were, uh, it was big fire season across the American West and a lot of discussion around climate change. And Rabbi Sachs said, let's talk about cultural climate change. And so he talked about divisive politics, the inequalities in economics and social and racial unrest, threats of free speech, cancel culture, uh, all of those things. And the results of that are pretty catastrophic. And so when you look at it that way, that heat, that climate change of heated political rhetoric rising, the cancer of contempt that is just scorching societal connective tissue, Uh, The climate was clearly changing. So we have that increase in temperature from a cultural climate standpoint. But then Rabbi Sachs flipped the script on me. He said, now I also have another kind of climate change that I'm worried about as it relates to culture, cultural climate change. And he said that cultural climate change is equally catastrophic and it is cold The Arctic frost of isolation, loneliness, despair is freezing relationships, ruining families, and chilling civil society. And so he he took us on this little journey of looking at all of that, the incredible heat that's coming in our culture, 
cultural climate change of, of heat and anger and frustration. And he also talked about cultural climate change in the context of cold, that chilling of civil society, the frost of isolation and loneliness, the freezing of relationships. So he was really saying that one way to conceptualize the change is is to change the way we're framing each other. He talked about going beyond a social contract, uh, thinking about it instead in terms of a social covenant, uh, which was interesting phrasing from the rabbi. It, it really invites us to think about the impact that we have on others. And that's different. And it is something that is sorely lacking in our social media and our political debates, to be sure. The rabbi went on to, to tell me a couple of other things that I think are really insightful. Uh, he said the way we, we see people is different when we have that connective tissue, that moral sentiment towards one another. Because then we don't see people that are struggling or failing neighborhoods just as liabilities to be managed, but we can see them as, as individuals with infinite potential and communities of opportunity to be developed. And that kind of society is going to embrace the idea that, that free markets, financial success are, are unstable and really don't amount to much without social capital and moral economics. Uh, Rabbi Sachs noted that without a robust civil society, we will lose not just money and jobs, but something more significant, freedom, trust, and decency which he said are the things that have a value, not a price. Think about that. If we, if we don't have that robust civil society and that moral sentiment towards one another, uh, we're not just going to lose that on money and jobs, but we're going to lose freedom, trust, and decency. And those things have tremendous value, but not a price. So it's interesting that... Um, you know, the great institutions of the modern world uh, do a lot of things, but they don't provide us meaning. Science can tell us how, but not why. Technology gives us power, but can't guide us in how to use that power. The market gives us choices, but leaves us uninstructed. Uh, and we can look at all of those kinds of choices. And the, the result, according to Rabbi Sachs, is that the 21st century has left us with a maximum of choice and a minimum of meaning. And that's what we long for in society. And we're not going to find it on social media and we're not going to find it in the hot climate change of political debate. But we will find it in meaningful conversations we have in our homes and in our community. I'm Boyd Matheson. Thanks for listening to Inside Sources here on KSL News Radio today. And as always, as you go out into the world, see something that inspires, say something that uplifts and do something that makes a difference. A stranger with a gun came upon two teens taking pictures under a rising full moon. But violence is only the beginning of this story. Sometimes I thought, there are no miracles. Yeah, there are, and this is a big one. I'm Amy Donaldson, and I've spent my career talking about how lives are undone by violence. The Letter is a podcast about how lives are remade. Follow The Letter at theletterpodcast.com or wherever you get your podcasts.